Don't you often find that the reality of things that you've planned, especially with kids, can be much more chaotic than you thought? And now imagine that applying not to a simple trip to the shops or even interstate, but packing everyone up and moving to France. Writer Rachel Mogan McIntosh and her husband Keith did this with their three children. Let's find out how that calm, picturesque French village of their dreams panned out. Rachel, Keith, welcome to Life Matters. Hi, Hilary. Thanks for having us. Great to have you both here. Uh, Rachel's written a book called Pardon My French. And Rachel, this is something I guess a lot of us dream of sometimes in our downtime. What was happening in your life at the time that made this seem like a feasible idea? Well, it always kind of hovered um, in Keith and my sensibility as something we would love to do because Keith had spent some, a year in France as a child and so we knew, you know, that it was a thing that we sort of could do. Um, but we never really put a timeline on it until we were coming out of those early childhood baby breastfeeding you know, pumpkin everywhere sort of years and had all three kids at school. Um, and, you know, our littlest, she called Mabel in the book, was starting kindy. And so we were like, I think it's it's time we, we take this big leap when we've got, we're moving into this new phase. Yeah, we've got a window. So, Keith, you, you had yeah. a little bit of French experience. Why did you choose the particular town that you landed on? In some year, um, yeah, so... When I was uh, in my 20s, I went travelling, backpacking around France, and my sister also happened to be um, an au pair girl there in the south of France. And she st- um, was in this place, Sommier, and I visited there and just loved and loved the south of France. Um, so 20 or 30 years later, um, when we decided let's, let's pick up sticks and, and move over to, to France, all I had in mind, we did, was that somewhere in the south of France, like anywhere east of Toulouse and uh, west of the Alps, um, and so we thought we'd just rock up to France, drive down and find a, a, a good place. And um, I'm sure that worked it, out exactly how you thought it was. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, but in, in fact, the, the, yeah, the visa meant that we had to book a place in advance, a long-term rental for a year. And so that led us looking online. A year. And online, yeah, there wasn't, much, there wasn't much going for a year at the time we wanted it. It's somewhere that wasn't too small and wasn't too big. And so it just happened that Rach stumbled across this picture of a of a bath in uh, in a bedroom, and she fell in love with it. Um, <laughs> that was that was the key factor. It's got a bath in the, the bedroom. We're moving to France. Exactly. So Rachel, then, the, sorry. Okay. Oh, it just happened to be in the same exact same town that my sister had been living in, and we knew that it was perfect for us. Well, yeah, it must have started to feel a bit fated, but the the, the plans were put in place. Keith would work and, and Rachel, you would manage the house and write and, you know, you've, you've yep. bribed the kids with, sorry, promised the kids a Disneyland Paris visit on the way <laughs> and you move from Wollongong and you land in the village. Yep. What are the first impressions? Mm. Uh, it was just kind of mind-blowing, I guess, really. We come from, we live in this little town on the south coast of, of New South Wales. We, we sort of live in the bush with the beach down the bottom of the hill and this little kind of um, raggedy wooden shack. We've got a composting dunny and tank water, you know, this kind of stuff. There's kookaburras and brown snakes and ticks. And we landed in this medieval village that was just this stone fairy tale cobblestone street land. And behind our house was a 12th century tower and... Um, just down the bottom of, um, you know, that we could see from our balcony is this Roman bridge that was ordered by Tiberius in the first um, century AD. It was just a complete different 
uh, world that we landed in. And it's you're right too that you know there were there were terrible things and wonderful things beyond the the picturesque kind of picture postcard aspect of it when you started to try and integrate yourselves into the life mm. there. Rachel, tell me yeah. about trying to shift the kids into a new school. How did that compare to the average Australian starting school experience? Oh, look, it was so different. I sometimes think about it like the idea of how you think you're going to parent when you're pregnant, for example, and you're reading books and thinking about how it's all going to play out. And then the reality sort of hits you like a truck and it's nothing you could have been prepared for. It was a little bit like that. We had these very romantic ideas about what it meant for the kids to be doing immersion learning, which is this idea that they land basically without any language and that by being immersed in this completely... Um, you know, different cultural experience that then they would learn the French and then they would, um, it would just be some sort of linear progression of getting easier and easier from there. And it just never worked out like that. It was really difficult, which was part of the great blessing of it as well, the the challenge and the difficulty, but it it never really got easy for the kids to manage the the nuttiness of French school. Um, Some of the specific sort of differences were more like, here in our little town in Calder, you know, we're in and out of the little primary school all the time. We're friends with the teachers. The parents have a lot to do with the running of the school. Whereas in Somia, where we were, the school gates are, um, are, are locked behind the school gates. The teachers and the students run their own show and the parents are not allowed in. Um, you're not... The idea that you could go up to a teacher or the principal and say, I want to have a word with you about, you know, your teacher being mean to my child or something is laughable. They would, they would you know, throw their cigarettes at you. It would never play. <laughs> <laughs> it would never play. There's a completely different aspect of, 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 of um, where the parents you know, are expected to stay in their lane. Mm. Well, in Keith, uh, the, just the, the practicalities of the day too, the two-hour lunch break in the middle of the day, how did you guys manage that as a family and how did the kids cope? Yeah, the two-hour lunch break was a, it was a big thing for us because it was much too long for the kids to stay at school for that, to survive in the playground, to sit down for the three-course meal that all the rest of the kids were doing. Um, so that meant that we, we walked to the school gates um, every morning to drop them off and every lunchtime to pick them up and then back again after the two-hour lunch, after we'd sort of put them back together and, and coddled them and, you know, picked up their moods at lunchtime and then we'd pick them up again at the end of the day. So for H and I, you know, it, was, it broke up the day a lot, but it was great for us. You know, it got us out. Um, but for me in particular, because I was working from home in, you know, speaking in English, so I got to stand at the school gates, you know, often and speak to the other parents and get to know them. Yeah, Um, those little interactions sound like the key, don't they? And it it sounds like, I mean, it did get better, didn't it, Keith? You you did make friends and and feel welcomed after a certain point. Yeah, we did. We actually felt welcomed almost straight away. Um, The kids adopted our kids very quickly. They were very um, dramatic and romantic and and different about it, but they, they, you know, came and introduced themselves. And even on the first weekend, um, our littlest one had a play date um, at a friend's house. So that was fabulous for the kids, and the parents were the same. They, um, yeah, they were interested. They were very curious to know what what was this Australian family doing in France. What possible reason did we have to to move to their little town in the south? Mm. And I understand, Rachel, that there were lovely playdates, but also there was the playdate from hell. Tell us a bit about that. Oh God, yeah, this is a traumatic memory for me. <laughs> 
So this was like these kids in France, they were so wonderful, gorgeous, gorgeous, just so funny and sweet and kind, but they were so dramatic and nuts. Um, They were really a lot to handle. And my French was always terrible. So we had this play date one day where um, there were a couple of extra kids at the house with these two little particular these two little boys that became like my bonus sons they used to spend a lot of time at our house little nine-year-old boys and there was this one day where the um sort of the lord of the chateau had come over to to have tea with us sort of dropped in and so Keith and I were trying to have like a very genteel afternoon tea um, down in the bottom room with this man while the five kids just were running up and down the stairs one of them started setting off like fireworks in the what? found these fireworks <laughs> fireworks in the bedroom. Another one like smashed a big jar in the kitchen, and then there, there were tears and screaming, and um, it was just the most exhausting play date of my life. I think. <laughs> yes, well, and I, I understand, Rachel, that your kind of language struggles came to the fore at various points uh, in some of those interactions as well. What, what were some of the the most traumatic ones? If I can dig those up. Oh, it was a constant, a constant matter of just the only way I could really um, make my way in insomnia and just operate running out of the house and running three kids and all that stuff was just to make a fool of myself constantly. There was a lot of mime. There was a lot of, um, you know, um, just body language trying to give context to my terrible French. I had to come to terms always with being a real moron, which I think was good for me. <laughs> it was character building. But the probably the most embarrassing um, faux pas in my French was when I was told months, months down the track, I was told that this phrase, je suis excité, which uh, was one of my catchphrases that I used all the time trying to be enthusiastic and friendly. I'm so excited about the, you know, the shopping or your new outfit or whatever it was. Eventually somebody told me that what I was saying was I'm so horny <laughs> and I'd used it. I'd used it so many times and so that was kind of horrifying. Yeah, you've just got to let a lot of stuff go, don't you, about your ego when you're learning a new language. Yes, absolutely. We're speaking with Rachel Mogan McIntosh, who's a writer. Her new book's called Pardon My French, and she and her husband, Keith McIntosh, who's here with us too, spent a year in France with their three kids, and there were some hilarious ups and downs, some really family bonding times, and a lot of discovery, self-discovery and discovery about themselves as a family that happened along the way. Rachel, we've heard that kind of, you know, French children don't throw food. There's different expectations of French kids. They, They learn to be adults sooner. How did you see mm. cultural differences, if they were that pronounced, playing out when you were there when it came to relationships between parents and children, for example? Yeah, it's very striking, actually. It really is true, a lot of that stuff. And e- even when I would sort of trying to take into account the fact that this little town of Sommier is not necessarily reflective of all of France and the way that we we live in this little bobo you know, kind of semi-hippie little enclave on the south coast isn't also reflective of Australia. Even so, there were these quite striking differences with French children. They have like a a real sophistication about them that you would go over to somebody's house and I remember seeing a 10-year-old sort of sniff the cork of the wine bottle. They would take your coat and give you the the triple kiss bis, you know, to to say hello. And um, there was a strong... um, kind of cultural understanding that at an adult gathering of any kind, and children were always around for parties and things, that 
children were expected to kind of handle their boredom or, or look after themselves in that way. So where in Australia it would be really normal for kids to come up and be like, Mom, I'm bored, I'm hungry. How, long, how much longer do we have to stay here? Like that would never happen in insomnia. The, the child would just get, they would get their ear, you know, pulled. <laughs> that would be met with a lot of... Uh, of scolding because the, the expectation is that you would behave yourself in that setting. Wow, I'm sorry, um, Francois, you have to sorte your own snails. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So they, they are sometimes like very mature in that way. And then conversely, there, there wasn't this sense that we often have with children in Australia of this, these conversations that we have with children around bullying and around emotions and other people's feelings and empathy and those sorts of things there's an emotional intelligence that is sort of inculcated in children in Australia I think that I didn't necessarily see there so they would be there would be like casual cruelty um the way kids sort of um operated in in the world that um was striking to me as well what what are some of the things that you grew to love about it Rachel and really miss oh so much and and I think I learned so much that I took home with me. The the reality of our year there was that it was a lot harder than we would have expected it to be in so many ways, but I would have never dreamed that we would be embraced and loved and cared for by the people in the town in the way that we were. So, um, you know, immediately at the school and in the, in the village and at the language school that I went to, you know, people from every corner would just they would drop us off, you know, hand-me-down clothes and they were always just helping us to kind of settle in and, and assimilate. And the kindness that we were met with over that year was um, really deeply moving and just absolutely beautiful. Mm, it just sounds like a, a very nuanced and wonderful experience for the whole family. Rachel, Keith, thank you both so much for joining us on Life Matters today to tell us a little bit about it. Thank you. Thanks, Thank you, Rachel Morgan McIntosh and Keith McIntosh. They moved to France for a year with the three kids. It was quite different from some of the ways they thought it would pan out, but it's a really fascinating read and very funny too. The book's called Pardon My French. Getting in touch with ABC RN is easy. Join the conversation live using the ABC Listen app's call and text features.